Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at FBC, and it's great to be with you today as we kick off this new series called Heroes and as we watch England thrash Panama after the service. Do you believe, have you got faith that England are going to win? Two people, yeah, they feel that full of confidence. We're starting off this this new series, Heroes. As ever, you can track along with this series. So if you miss any weeks or if you want to watch some of the stuff, again, just go to fbcnext.com, click on the catch-up card, click on the Heroes card, and you can watch or listen to the messages. And there will also be discussion questions that you can download and use in the week. They're great if you're in a small group or a connect group uh, that meets midweek. You can use those to discuss and go a bit deeper. Or you could just use them on your own or with your family or with friends or, or however uh, you want to do that. And uh, we're looking at Heroes, and I don't know if you have have a hero or if you're into superhero films, anybody into superhero films? Who likes the Marvel films and all those Avengers stuff? A few people. Anybody seen the new um, um, Avengers Infinity War film? Who liked it? Who, what about that ending? You know, what happened at the end? No, I won't tell it. Uh, there you go. I went to see it recently with my wife, Louise, and I. Our, both of our kids, Leah and Malachi, were away at different places overnight. So we had a night alone. It was amazing. And we went out for a meal, and we went to, to, to the cinema uh, and watched the film, and it was great, and I fell asleep. How old am I? I mean, that's, you know, it was, I mean, it was almost 11 o'clock, to be fair, so it was pushing it on um, a bit. But, you know, the Infinity War film was filled, filled with heroes. There's, you know, everyone, Iron Man's in there, and they've got the guys from Guardian of the Galaxy and loads of other um, superheroes uh, that are in that film. And um, just wonder, have you got a favourite superhero? If you, if you could be a superhero, who would you be? Would you be Superman? I would be Superman, because Superman is the ultimate superhero, isn't he? You know, he can do everything. He can run fast, he can fly, he can pick up things, he can, uh, he's got uh, these lasers that shoot out of his eyes and all that sort of stuff, but he can't hold a green rock, so that's, you know, there's a downside uh, to that. And the reason why Superman is a superhero is, of course, as we all know, he's an alien, he comes from another planet, and there's something to do with gravity on Krypton is different to gravity on Earth, and that gives him superhero abilities. Or maybe Spider-Man, maybe you like Spider-Man. Spider-Man's a superhero, Um, he's not an alien, Um, he was a superhero because he got his powers from being bitten by a genetically modified spider. And as a result of that, he could shoot webs and he could climb up things and he could jump and he could do other things as, as well. Or maybe Batman. Do you like Batman? You know, Batman, he's not an alien. He's not being bitten by anything. But Batman is a superhero because he has super cool gadgets. And he uses all those tools and all of that equipment uh, to his advantage to fight off the bad guys uh, and all those sort of things. Now, I wonder um, who your superhero uh, is and what is it about them that, that you, you like? What is it about them that makes them a hero? Now, I do realise, and perhaps I might need to reveal this to some of you this morning, that those characters are all fictional, that it's not real. You know, Marvel's Infinity War was not a documentary. Uh, it was a film, and uh, those things, you know, there's no such things as superheroes, no such things as aliens coming from other planets with those superpowers, and you can do all those things. But what about real-life heroes? Is there such a thing as real-life heroes? What is it that makes them heroic. Well, let me give you an example of three really quickly. There's Kyle Carpenter. Um, if you don't know about Kyle, if you've not heard about Kyle, Kyle is the youngest living soldier to receive the Medal of Honor. Kyle is a US soldier, and he received his award for outstanding bravery whilst on tour in Afghanistan. Kyle was on the roof, uh, on a roof with some other soldiers, and a grenade was thrown up onto the roof. And Kyle, without thinking of his own safety, but thinking of the safety of other people, threw himself on top of the grenade to save his friends. And he survived uh, that 
that, uh, that grenade explosion, but um, suffered life-changing um, injuries. And, uh, you know, he's classed as a hero. Um, or there's Rosa Parks. You might have heard of Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks is an African-American lady who refused to give up a seat to a white man um, on the bus. She, Rosa ignored the instructions um, from the bus driver back in December 1955 when she was told that she had to get out her seat in the coloured section and let a white man um, sit in that seat. And she refused to do that. Um, and she, became, she was arrested for that act of defiance. Uh, and she became this wonderful symbol against um, you know, racial segregation. And, and Rosa Parks is often referred to as the first lady of civil rights. Or there's Oscar Schindler. Now, Schindler is not responsible for the lifts. Our lift outside is a Schindler lift. Schindler didn't make those, so he is, you know, our broken lift. Oscar Schindler, he's a hero because, you know, Oscar Schindler, you've probably seen the film Schindler's List. Um, he was a member of the Nazi party who saved um, the lives of over a thousand Jewish people by employing them to work in his factories in Poland. Now, and believe it or not, these three examples are everyday, normal people. There's nothing special about these people. They're not aliens. They're not being bitten by spiders. They don't have really cool gadgets. They are everyday, normal people who have done these extraordinary things that have shaped our history and have actually impacted the lives of people around them. These people are heroes. But what is it about them that makes them Heroic. You know, we see lots of people. What, what is it that separates a hero from an everyday person? Well, heroes see what everyone else sees, but they choose to do what no one else does. They see what everyone else sees. All of those people uh, that I just talked about, they see the need. They see the opportunity to make a difference. They see the injustice, and they see this opportunity to do something, but they don't just see it. They do something. And that's what makes somebody a hero. It's not what they see, because we all see these things. We all see injustice. We all see opportunities to make a difference. We all see an opportunity to help whoever we are. You know, whatever we think, whatever we believe, whether whether a Christian or not a Christian, whether we believe there's a God or don't believe there's a God. This isn't a Christian thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a life thing. We all see opportunities to actually do something, opportunities to help, opportunities to get involved, opportunities to stand up or stand against injustice. But what makes people heroic is actually choosing to do something about it. And those three examples are just small examples of people, or big examples, I suppose, of people who saw what everybody else saw, but they chose to do what nobody else did. And when we look at that, actually, we can see that any one of us can be a hero. That actually, all, we could all place ourselves within the hero category. And I'm sure many of you, if not most, or if not all of you, would not want to actually put yourself in that. We, we won't want to class ourselves as heroes, because we don't think that we have what it takes. We don't think that we have the ability or the power. Um, or we don't think there's anything special about us that actually we could say that we are heroes. I'm sure most of us um, feel that we are unlikely to be a hero. But the thing is, the most unlikely people make the most likely heroes. The most unlikely 
people make the most likely heroes. And if you feel like an unlikely hero this morning, then actually you're in the right place, that you're, you're sitting in the right seat, because we're going to explore this and unpack this a little bit this morning uh, and see that actually the most unlikely people can become the most likely heroes. And we're going to do that by looking at an example from history um, of a guy called Moses. Uh, and you, perhaps you've heard of Moses. Um, Moses was born in Egypt. Um, he was a Hebrew or an Israelite, uh, and And he was born in in Egypt at a time when all Hebrew baby boys were supposed to be executed at birth. You see, the Hebrews or the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. The Egyptians ruled over them, uh, and the Hebrews were growing in number. And the Egyptians were getting worried about this and thought, well, what are we going to do? We don't want them to get so big that they outnumber us and overpower us. So Pharaoh, who's like the king of Egypt, um, said that, well, all baby boys, all Hebrew baby boys must be executed at birth. way we can keep their population numbers low. And Moses was born to his, his mum, obviously, and Moses' mum tried to keep uh, Moses hidden, tried to keep him a secret, but obviously you can't do that uh, with a baby. So in the end, she placed him in a basket and sent him off down the River Nile. Now, can, just for a moment, can, can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine being in a situation where you have no hope Uh, that your only option left is to take your newly born baby son and place him in a basket and send him off down a river, hoping that somebody would find him and look after him. That's exactly what Moses' mother did. And um, somebody did find Moses, and it wasn't just anybody. It was Pharaoh's daughter, and she found him, and she adopted him. And actually, Moses' sister was nearby, and uh, she became involved in Moses' life, and Moses' mum became involved in Moses' life as well. And Moses was was brought up in Pharaoh's household. He became a prince of Egypt in Pharaoh's family, an amazing twist of fate. And Moses grew up this life of, of power, this life of prosperity, Prosperity, this life of splendor um, in Egypt. All the while, whilst his Hebrew and Israelite brothers and sisters were suffering and were being persecuted and were tortured and beaten by their Egyptian masters. And one day, when Moses was fully grown, he was walking around the land and he saw this Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And he looked around to make sure that no one was watching. And Moses went up to the Egyptian and he killed him. And then he hid his body in the sand and then he went on his way. But the problem is someone was watching. Somebody did see what Moses did. And the news spread that Moses had killed this Egyptian. And the news got to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was outraged. You know, it was um, against the law, obviously, to kill an Egyptian. And that, was, that act was met by death. Um, so Pharaoh wanted Moses killed. And Moses legs it. He runs away, um, you know, just to try and save his life. And he goes to this place called Midian. Uh, and he meets a farmer. And he ends up marrying this farmer's daughter. And he starts this new life um, in Midian, you know, trying to turn his back um, on Egypt. And and time passes, and he's trying to write a new chapter. He's trying to forget about what's happened in the past, and he's trying to um, live this new life. And, you know, the pharaohs died, a new pharaoh has came um, in his place, a new king of Egypt. But the um, the Israelites, the Hebrews, are still suffering. They're still oppressed by their Egyptian masters. And then one day, Moses is out looking after after his, um, looking after the sheep in, in the desert or in, in this place called Midian. Uh, and something amazing happens. Let's just take a look. 
Now Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames from a fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Now, I wonder if you can picture the scene. So there's Moses. He's looking after these sheep in this place, this sort of um, desert, arid country, and he sees this bush that's on fire. Now, this isn't a strange sight because, you know, bushfires would have been very common. It would have been the thing that Moses saw, you know, perhaps every other day. Uh, And Moses sees this bush, but he sees something different um, about this bush. And he sees that this bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire, but you know, it's not burning up like the other bushes do you know, when they're on fire. It's not getting smaller and this sort of stuff. So the bush is staying the same even though it's on flames and, and, and it's a strange sight. And uh, you know, those of us who know the story know what happens next. You know, you know, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses and he's appeared to him through this bush and he's trying to get Moses' attention. He's trying to actually speak to Moses and share this, this message with Moses that we're going to explore uh, in a moment. And I often wonder, you know, why did God do this? You know, I know God wants to get Moses' attention. I know God wants to talk to Moses. So why didn't God just say, Moses, you know, let's have a conversation, let's have a chat. Why did God do this whole burning bush um, thing um, to try and get Moses' attention? What would have happened if Moses looked at that bush and thought, no, it's just a bush on fire? just like any other bush that I've seen literally every other day, and just carried on. What would have happened if he did that? Or what would have happened if Moses, you know, like perhaps many of us would have done, you know, we would have seen the bush, and maybe we would have paused long enough to look at it a bit more and see, oh, that's strange, because, you know, I've seen many bush fires, and the bushes tend to get small and get burnt up, but this one isn't. Now, what would have happened if Moses just saw that strange sign and thought, oh, that's odd and then carried on his way, which, to be honest, I probably would have done. You know, I'm out there in the heat looking after sheep. I've seen bushes on fire all the time. Oh, that's strange. I probably would have got out of my phone, take a photo of it, posted it on Instagram, and then just gone about my business. But Moses doesn't. You know, he sees what everyone else sees, but he does what most people wouldn't do. He goes over to the bush, and as he approaches the bush, God speaks speaks to him, uh, and he speaks through this, bu- th- th- this bush. And God says to Moses... No, he doesn't. I thought we'd change this. The the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. You know, God speaks to Moses, and he says to Moses, look, I know what's happening back in Egypt. I know what's happening to your, your people. They're my people too. I'm concerned about them. You know, Moses, you might have turned your back on them. You might have tried to forget about them. You might be trying to turn a new chapter and live a new life but I know what's going on. I'm concerned about what's happening here. Uh, And then God says to Moses, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, this is not what Moses wanted to hear. You know, I bet as he woke up that morning, and I bet as he saw that interesting bush on fire, and as he walked across to it, he wasn't expecting this to happen. No, God says, I know what's going on, Moses, and I want you to go and do something about it. You know, this means certain death for for Moses. Going back to Pharaoh, even though it's a different Pharaoh, he's killed an Egyptian. the, The sentence that's due to him is execution. He doesn't want to go 
um, back to Pharaoh and say, you know, you've got to let God's people go because he knows he's going to be met with his own death. So Moses begins to have an argument with God or this bush um, or, or whatever's going on. And Moses says um, to God, who am I, God, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You know, who am I? He's, he's not forgotten who he is. He's not having a, you know, a, an identity crisis. He's just saying to God, you know, who am I? I don't have the position to do this, God. Yeah, sure, I used to be a prince in Egypt, but now I'm a shepherd in Midian. I'm old. I'm nobody. You know, I've done this horrific act, and I've run away. I'm trying to forget about that. I'm trying to put um, this life behind me. You know, I don't have the position to do what it is that you're asking me to do. And God says to Moses, Moses, it's okay. I'm going to be with you. I'll go with you all the time. You know, I will be there every single step of the way. But that's not enough for Moses. Uh, So he comes up with another excuse. And he says to God, suppose I do go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, this is a strange question to ask, isn't it? And and it's partly strange because we don't quite understand what is going on there. You know, there's a lot more to do with names in ancient cultures that we just don't get in in our culture um, today. But what what Moses is saying, I said, okay, God, let's just suppose for one minute that, you know, I'm not talking about going to Pharaoh because that's just ridiculous, but just suppose, I'm not saying I'm going to do this, God, but just suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them that the God of your fathers has sent me and they say to me, what's his name? What am I going to say to them? You know, how am I going to answer them about that? Now, the thing that's going on here is, is names in this ancient culture and names in, in any ancient culture are very different to names in modern day culture. You know, back then, names were more than just a label. Names were more than a way of identifying one person from another. Names were prophetic. Names told the story of the individual. They shared the character of who that person was. So God's name would reveal who God is. God's name would would reveal his character and what he's like. And and Moses doesn't know God. And he he said to God, you know, I haven't got the position to do this, God, and I don't have the knowledge to do this. I don't know who you are. And then God, in this amazing act, reveals his name for the first time to Moses. And he says, tell them, I am has sent you. I am who I am. God is. God always has been. God always will be. God isn't created like anything else. God just is. And in revealing that name, I am, which is a name that's spread throughout history, and we read about it throughout the Old Testament as well, this, this name Yahweh that you might come across is, is a derivative from these, these words, I am. You know, God is showing a bit about his character. I am who you need me to be. I'm father to the fatherless. I'm hope for the hopeless. I'm rest for the weary. God is what we need him to be. And I don't mean by that, that that we create God in our own image, that God is whatever we need him to be or God is whatever we want him to be. What I mean is God is what we need. God is what we need. And that's what he's showing to Moses. And he's saying that to, to the people. You know, I am what you need. Tell them I am has sent you. And Moses thought about that, and you know, he's like, it's not enough for me, God. Uh, here's another excuse, another reason why I can't do this. So Moses says, you know, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Now, I totally understand this one, because just imagine someone came to you and said, God has sent me to you to tell you this, or to give you this sign, or to ask you to do that. What would be your first response? You'd be like, prove it. 
You know, how do I know you're telling the truth? That's exactly what Moses is saying here. You know, what if they don't believe me? How am I going to show them? How am I going to evidence this? You know, he said, God, I haven't got the, the position to do this. I've not got the knowledge to do this. And now he's saying, God, I've not got the power or I've not got the skills to do what it is that you're asking me to do. And so God responds and he, he says to Moses, well, what's that that you're holding in your hand? And Moses had this, this shepherd's crook, this staff uh, in his hand, an everyday object that he used you know, to look after sheep and do all those sort of stuff that shepherds do, which I don't really know much about because I'm not a shepherd. But there you go. And he says to Moses, throw that stick down on the ground. And Moses threw the stick on the ground and the stick turned into a snake. And Moses did what I would have done. He legged it. Why did Moses leg it? Well, he legged it because he's afraid of snakes. That's why God turned the staff into a snake. If it was you, it might be something else. He might have turned it into a spider or a toddler um, or something else that you might be afraid of. But for Moses, it was snakes and, and he ran away. And I'm totally on board with Moses because I do not like snakes. I'm terrified of snakes. Now, I remember a few years ago, Malachi was invited to my son. He was invited to a party um, that was a snakes and lizards party. And not snakes and ladders, ladders, snakes and lizards. And they had live snakes and live lizards and I like the lizards and I'm not a big fan of the snakes and I thought well I'll go with him and I'll stay and you know maybe this is a good opportunity for me to face my fear Um, and so they got these snakes out and they're passing them around and I'm holding the snakes and you know thinking this is not too bad I'm I'm all right with this and I have this big massive albino python it's a baby python but it's humongous and I've got it wrapped around my neck and I'm holding this big uh, python and I'm thinking this is quite nice and as I'm holding the python, the lady who's sort of running the the show says, right, now it's time to feed one of the snakes. So they get this corn snake, I think it is, and they put it in a box and they get this dead chick and they stick the dead chick in the box and the snake does nothing. And I thought, well, those snakes are pretty boring, aren't they? And then she sort of shakes the box or or shakes the, the, the chick and all of a sudden the snake sees it and goes, and pounces on the chick and he's eating it and the kids are like, oh, wow, gross, and they're loving it and this stuff. And one boy in particular gets a bit too excited and a bit too close. And he starts sort of putting his fingers in the box where the snake is eating, whilst I'm holding this snake around my neck. And the snake, I think, looks at the chicken that is eating, a dead, half a dead chick, and he sees the boy's fingers and thinks, hmm, sausages. I much prefer sausages. At which point it stops eating the, the chicken and clamps itself onto the boy's finger. And the boy screams and all the other kids screams and he lifts his finger up and he's shaking around and the snake is flying around. That bit I've just coloured in a little bit. It didn't really happen. It would be good if it did, wouldn't it? And everyone's like panicking and the parents are all trying to keep, oh, everything's fine, keep calm. And the lady comes out. I'm holding a snake at this point, you know, as this snake is bitten onto this boy's finger. She comes over with these pliers, these special things to prise um, the, the jaws off this boy's fingers. And he's got these two puncture wounds on his finger whilst I've got a snake around my neck. And I turned to, to the mum and I said, well, I've been to a few parties that had snake bite, but never a five-year-old's party. Uh, and, and then we moved on. And, you know, I'm terrified. So it didn't really help uh, my cause for snakes. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, Moses. So the staff had turned into a snake and Moses had legged it. And then God says, Moses, come back. And Moses come back. And, and God says, see the snake. And Moses is like, yeah, I see the snake. He says, pick it up from the tail. As if. You know, you're having a laugh. I can see it's a snake. And I can see that the dangerous bit is at the other end. There is no way that I will pick up that snake from his tail. Moses sees what everyone sees, 
Well, he does what most people wouldn't do. He bends over, he picks up the snake from the tail, and it turns back into a staff. And God says, see, this is a sign that you can do to prove that I've appeared to you. And he gave Moses a couple of other more signs, a couple of other tricks that he could do to perform to prove that God had appeared to him. But that's still not enough for Moses. And he comes up with another excuse. And his excuses are getting less and less uh, believable. And he says this, Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I love this bit because actually this is the most profound statement sentence that he said. It's actually quite a complex sentence that he said. And he's gone on this long paragraph saying, I can't speak proper. You know, and it's a great excuse, isn't it? I can't do this, God. I can't do it because I haven't got the, pa- uh, the position. I've not got the knowledge. I've not got the power. And now Moses is saying, God, I've not got the words to do what it is that you're asking me to do. And God's response is amazing. He says, Moses, who is it who created men's mouths? Who is it who created the tongue? Who is it who gave people the ability to speak? Me. Go, and I will teach you what to say, and I will help you speak. And it's this amazing thing. But, you know, that's not enough um, for Moses. So he tries one more. He's out of excuses now. There's nothing left to say. So he tries one more tact, and I love this. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. (laughs) Isn't that great? He's gone through all this stuff, and he realizes that he's not going to win this argument. And he says, God, just send someone else. And God says, Moses, no. I want you. You know, if I wanted somebody else, I would have chosen someone else. I'm choosing you. Now go. And Moses, to his credit, goes. And he goes to the Israelites, and he does those tricks, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he, and he says that God's told, uh, wants you to let his people go, and he leads God's people, he leads the Israelites and the Hebrews out of captivity into Egypt, into freedom in the promised land, and does some amazing other things, you know, crossing the Red Sea and all of, all of that stuff. You know, Moses eventually does what God has asked him to do. Now, You know, Moses is a hero, but he is definitely an unlikely one. And I wonder if you associate with Moses at all. And obviously not the bit about God appearing to you in a burning bush and saying, go to Pharaoh and and snakes and sticks and all that sort of stuff. But do do you associate with Moses in that bit about feeling, you know, I just don't have the position. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the power. I don't have the words to do this. You know, maybe you see an opportunity to help. Maybe you see an opportunity to make a difference. Maybe you see an opportunity to stand up against injustice, but you think, who am I? What is it that I can do? Whoever you are, whatever you think, whatever you believe, whether you're a Christian or not, and and that's almost irrelevant uh, at this point because, you know, it's not a faith thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a life thing. We see life. We see need. We see injustice. And we have an opportunity to stand against that, to stand up, to step in, to make a difference. And perhaps you feel to yourself, you know, well, who am I? What can I do? I don't have the position. I don't have the power. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the words that will do anything that will change this situation. Who am I? I won't be able to make a difference. And it's a bit like that um, starfish story uh, that Paul shared during the worship time about, you know, the boy starfish, lots of them uh, on the beach, you know, how can he make a difference? He's chucking them all in. You know, if you were here at the start, you would have heard that. And the dad looks at him and says, well, what, you know, he's chucking all these, these starfish in. He's not skimming them. Yeah, I've got a five. He's not doing that. Uh, and the dad looks at him and says, 
says, you know, what are you doing? You'll never be able to make um, a difference. And the boy picks up that one starfish. He throws it into the sea, and he turns to his dad and says, I made a difference to that one. And it's a great story, isn't it, that we can see that actually small acts do make a difference to someone's lives. But perhaps you think to yourself, you know, I can't be a hero. I'm average. I'm normal. I'm an unlikely candidate to be a hero. Well, this is what I think, and this is what I believe. I believe that God, at some point, whether it's now or in the future, will ask you, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in him or not, whether you'll be able to hear from him or not, I believe that you'll find yourself in a situation where you have the opportunity to stand up, to step in, to make a difference, where you will see need, where you'll see injustice, where, the, where you can do something about that, and you have the opportunity to be a hero, where you will see what everyone else sees. And you have the opportunity to do what nobody else is choosing to do. And I believe that God will want you to be a hero. That he will choose you to be a hero. Not because you have the position. Not because you have the power. Not because you have the knowledge. And not because you have the words. But because you don't. I believe that God wants all of us, whoever we are, whatever we think, whatever we believe or whatever we don't believe, to actually see need, to see injustice, to see an opportunity to help and make a difference and act on it. Not because we are the most likely candidates to be a hero. I believe that God wants us to do that because we are the unlikely candidates. If you feel like an unlikely hero you're more than likely someone God would choose to use. If you're sitting here and think, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the power. I don't have the position. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the words to make a difference. Who am I? What can I do? I believe you know, that you, if you're an unlikely hero, you're more than likely someone God would choose to use. The things about heroes is heroes are everyday people, ordinary people doing ordinary things in most cases. But somehow, those ordinary, everyday acts become extraordinary. That God takes that little thing that we have to offer, and he transforms it, and he multiplies it to change people's lives, to transform communities, to transform relationships, to transform situations. And he does that, and he chooses to do that through unlikely people like you and me. If you feel like an unlikely hero, you're more than likely someone God would choose to use. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for uh, that example from history, from, from Moses, and uh, just how he was normal, how he was everyday, how um, you know, he saw things, but he was willing not just to see them, he was willing to act on them. And I thank you that he didn't have superpowers, and he wasn't you know, super cool gadgets, and nothing made him special, that he was afraid, like many of us are afraid in these situations, but he was willing to do something about it. Father God, would you give us that courage? That when we see need, when we see injustice, when we see an opportunity to help, an opportunity to make a difference, that we won't just sit there and see it, but we will do something about it. Thank you, Lord. Amen.